I'm your host, Paul Essen, and I'm joined by the next in line for the head of Capital Security, Andrew Riley. Andrew, what's up? Well, I don't want that job, so... But that's okay. The, the current guy doesn't want to have it anymore either, and he's decided to resign based on some news I read late this week. And I think that seems like a fair response based on what we saw happen. And that what we saw happen, um, that seems like it's historically significant and perhaps ought to be something that we ought to be talking about as a current event on our discussion of many subjects podcast. And I've already screwed it up because I was supposed to date us at the beginning. Today is Saturday, January 9th. We are a mere week and a half into the new year, and it's already been a very eventful new year. And we decided we should have uh, somewhat of a last-minute emergency podcast, would you say, um, to discuss the the happenings, of which there are many. Um, and so I, I thought maybe, if you, if you don't mind a bit of a wind-up question here, um, I thought maybe we could start off by talking about what happened last week, the uh, intrusion into the Capitol. Um, and one, what I think would be an interesting question to discuss to start us off is, like you mentioned, the historical importance of it. Um, and I have three, hopefully very short uh, stories that I'm going to share. One, on social media, I saw some people describing it as the most shameful chapter in American presidential history. And I was so thankful to see that one of the first comments was something along the lines of, Andrew Jackson and the Trail of Tears would like to have a word, a word with you. Um, that's not to say that what happened wasn't bad, but unfortunately, there's a lot of shameful chapters in U.S. presidential history. And I get the feeling that you could probably find a, a ton. You don't even have to go back 200 years. I mean, let's talk about Japanese internment and, and how that would compare. Um, the second one is I uh, have had some discussions with some friends, one of which made the comment that he thought that this was more damaging to U.S. democracy than 9-11. And that's an interesting perspective on it, because I don't think anyone would argue that it's worse than 9-11, but in terms of its effect on American democracy, that is something that could be could be discussed. And the third one that I thought in my long wind-up question is, uh, that night, I was having a discussion with some friends, and they mentioned, it's kind of crazy that Georgia just elected two Democratic senators, and nobody is talking about that. And I kind of flippantly said, like, well that's going to be the thing that is going to be more important long term is the two is the senate flipping and the democrats having control effectively control of the presidency and the legislature um and i got some pushback on that um i i may have even said something like oh history will remember the the georgia senators more than the the capital intrusion and i quickly walked that back because that was the wrong phrasing to use but i it is interesting to think about what is going to be what is the mo more important event, like the fact that the Democrats took control of the Senate or that a bunch of yahoos uh, pushed past a woefully unprepared Capitol Police force? So, Andrew, choose any of those and discuss. Wow. You've given me quite a selection there. Yeah. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a stab at the, the third one uh, first, which is it's a distinction between short-term um, impacts and long-term impacts. You know, if, if you are looking at the history books 200 years from now, they're going to talk more about the incursion than the two senators. If you're thinking about impacts on policy from 20 years from now, then the senators matter much more. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the very, very short term, we're back to the incursion on January 6th being the more important event. Because right now, that is the thing that is chewing up oxygen in the room. It's our focus. 
the senators can't do anything until they're sworn in and seated and they start getting some bills in front of them to vote on. And those can impact things very significantly over the medium term, where the Democratic majority over the next two years in both the House, the Senate, and having the presidency means that they get to have their policy preferences by and large going 100%. So this is when they have a chance to push for whatever big liberal idea you want to talk about, the Green New Deal kind of thing. They probably won't, because even when they have the majority, just like when the Republicans have the majority, they don't actually have the strong majority that everyone expects. They don't vote as a bloc. Democrats, even some very liberal-leaning Democratic House members or Democratic-leaning senators, may not want to vote for something as big and as all-encompassing as a Green New Deal because it's not popular with a large part of their base. Their base is purple, not this strong liberal blue, and they want to represent the people who voted them into office so they can get re-elected. But certain things will get passed that would not have been passed now, and that will impact things for 20 to 50 years differently than if the Republicans had won one or both of those uh, senatorial races. Whereas long-term, the the blood of you know five deaths on January 6th and the violence on screen and, and the shock to the system, something very abnormal, senators changing parties or re-electing or runoff elections, that's normal. That's part of the political process. What we saw on the 6th is extremely abnormal and therefore both immediately and extremely long-term more important. Well, let me push back slightly on you because we we had an email exchange uh, going into this and you forwarded an interesting picture from uh, was Wikipedia search results where you indicated that there this isn't the first time there has been an incident at the Capitol. And uh, not only that, but not the first time in our lifetimes, which I guess is a longer period of time than I'm... I like to think about sometimes now, but, uh, and, and those are things that I don't remember. I mean, and I'm not sure many people really, uh, remember these days. No, that's, that's absolutely a fair point. When I pulled up that thing, uh, what happened was I was trying to find the exact nature and number of casualties from the incident on January 6th. And for reasons that are still unclear, even to me, I decided that Wikipedia was likely to have more clear-cut answers on that, with their various sources compiling all the information into a single source rather than any individual news source that I trusted having all that information lined up for me, because I know how Wikipedia's organization tends to work. And yes, it's crowdsourced, etc., so I have to double-check it, but because it is crowdsourced and and double-checked, it tends to be pretty accurate most of the time. And in this case, they were spot-on. They had the numbers, and I was able to double-check that, and it was lined up exactly the way I wanted to. But as I did that search, as I was pointing out to you guys in the email, Lo and behold, as I start typing in U.S. Capitol, looking for some Wikipedia page about the Capitol to find the sub-piece on the incursion, there are shooting incidents in the late 1990s and in the 1950s or 1960s as well. So that's two inside the past hundred years, in addition to this one, which is now the third then in that, in that grouping. Those other stories, I didn't have to look too deeply, but they're much smaller because you have, first of all, fewer casualties. Uh, This is not a mass shooting event. It's a shooting incident that happens at the Capitol, and either no one gets shot or one or two people get shot and very few fatalities, no fatalities. And they're generally speaking the work of one lone actor, madman, disgruntled person who wants to take their beef up with Congress kind of thing. This was a large group of people disgruntled and wanted to take up their beef with Congress and doing so en masse. That is... In a certain sense, that was a, a action by an enemy army against our government. Now, they claim 
that they are not an enemy army, but the army of the people, representing the people's view, trying to prevent a tyrannical overthrow of what they believe their government to be. And that comes down to just a complete failure to understand on both sides, I think, the facts of this situation. We have competing narratives about the reality of what's going on. And that's incredibly dangerous. And that is how we got into this position in the first place. And, and it's not going to be solved anytime soon here. So I'm, I'm curious how serious you think this event was. And, and I, I don't ask that. It may sound like a patently ridiculous question. And I don't mean to downplay the seriousness. It's obviously a serious event. But you hear terms thrown around like coup and, and sedition and insurrection. And you just re- referenced uh, something along the lines of, in a way, it was a foreign army or foreign army is that the correct term i'm not sure it was it was an it was army working against the government right right it was, and, it was a, a group of armed individuals fighting against the government right and and if you look up the the definitions of a lot of these terms it's like yeah i mean technically it's hard to argue like it's it's clearly sedition i think sedition doesn't even involve violence it's just like working against the authorities or something like that and i mean gosh just like having flashing your lights at the at, at cars to let them know a speed trap's coming up is probably sedition. So that's a low bar. Um, at the same time, and and it's early. Like I don't know all the facts here, but I've seen a lot of the pictures coming out of there. This hardly seemed like a dangerous armed coup attempt, a, a dangerously serious armed coup attempt. This looks like a bunch of goofy. Uh, I've heard the the I don't want to call them larpers because that seems like it's a <laughs> it's an insult to larpers. But you know, people who are just like if you saw them on the streets, you wouldn't take them seriously. There's a guy with with his horned hat and his bearskin vest, uh, like yep. the 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 guy with the the goofy beanie that was Trump beanie carrying the podium. These, this looks like a bunch like an unruly mob that had no idea what they were doing, except they were going to storm the Capitol. And once they got in, it was kind of like the underpants no meme, right? Like, storm the Capitol, then step two is, you know, shrug, and step three is profit. Like, And step three is new government. <laughs> yeah. Except, and so it's hard for me to take it seriously that like, this was some sort of serious coup. And, and I feel like that's needlessly hyperbolic. But at the same time, I mean, it does seem like it's an accurate description. So uh, wh- what do you think about that? Well, I want to go back to the LARPing thing for a second, because I've heard the LARPing rep- uh, reference myself a couple of times from other sources, and I understand where it's coming from, because you, you, these people are a little bit f- silly and foolish like a, a LARPer could be, but LARPers tend to carry blunted weapons. <laughs> these guys were carrying real weapons. You know, There were tasers, there were guns, there were actual weapons that could hurt and maim and kill people. Uh, and so there's a real distinction there between people who are going out and play acting at a thing for fun versus these people who may well have been play acting at a coup or politics uh but to a certain extent they intended it one of the other differences i think that is very important in this is that this was a groundswell effort of a collection of individuals and that's one of the reasons why it wasn't successful and that's one of the reasons why it looked the way it did this wasn't something that was organized by a person uh, with a leader and said, here's what you're going to do, and this is how we're going to do it, this is our battle plan. This was just a bunch of people who decided that the moment was right, and they watched other people start to storm, and they're like, I'm going to storm too, and all of a sudden, the thing goes crazy. And that's actually one of the complaints that many of the people in this group have had against groups like Antifa, disbelieving that things like this can actually happen. No, no one actually operates like that. Antifa has to have leaders. 
But in actuality, Antifa, generally speaking, doesn't have leaders. It's a group of people trying to achieve a common goal together. It's a collective rather than an organized unit. Uh, and that means that it looks like that sometimes because you have people doing their own thing that happens to be next to each other. So th- it's interesting that you bring up the, the weapons that they had because I I haven't – I'll be honest. I didn't do a lot of my research ahead of this. I hadn't heard about any particular – I, I assumed that they were armed in some limited fashion, but at the same time, it didn't look like even even frankly some of the, like the the Black Lives Matter protests that got violent in terms of uh, like Molotov cocktails being thrown and and and, and just all the 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 destruction there. It, I, I in none of the pictures that I saw that I see any weapons, and it's I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm saying it's it's interesting that if that were the case that there wasn't more bloodshed. And I'm not saying, thank heavens there wasn't more bloodshed. But if you look, only one of the the in- invaders was shot, as, as far as we know. Um, one of the other deaths appears to have been from a, an officer that was hit over the head with a fire extinguisher or some a, a violent attack. But it sounds like the other ones were um, medical incidents, which it's hard, to, hard for me to understand if that's necessarily directly related to this or if it was like a heart attack or something which indirectly related it's i guess what i'm saying is it's surprising that it wasn't a higher death toll Um, to a certain extent it is surprising that it wasn't a higher death toll i mean when you have a situation where you have people on both sides who are armed and maybe not everyone in the, the the rioting crowd was armed and i think that that's fair Many of the people who stormed the castle were not armed. Stormed the castle. Stormed the capital. <laughs> were not armed, um, but enough of them were, and there was enough threat of violence that it was an understandable response by the police force, the capital police force, to fear for lives and fear for you know the safety of themselves and the people that they're trying to protect, the the congressmen, the senators, their aides, the reporters, etc. That one of them panicked and shot one of the protesters, uh, presum- from what I've read, in the neck. Very bad place to get shot. She died from that. And once the guns start shooting, it's remarkable that more people didn't fire their guns. Absolutely. It, yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, I saw, I'm sure you've seen the picture too. It was the, the two or three members of the Capitol Police or, or whoever they were with their guns aimed at the door, just waiting for, I guess, for the cha- one of the chambers um, that they were protecting some of the the congressmen. I, I'm not sure the specifics, but it, it was very stark looking. Like they were just sitting there waiting for anyone to come up to the door, and and God only knows what would have happened there. So, um, it, it yeah, uh, it's it's pretty incredible that that's the limited uh, amount of bloodshed. Now, what what are your thoughts? I mean, I we don't, we don't have to touch on this that much, but yeah, the the person who was shot by the Capitol Police, by all accounts, unarmed, but at the same time clearly and very illegally invading the capital i mean it it's kind of there's been a lot of jokes like oh i'm no longer impressed by nicholas cage doing the declaration of independence i myself made the joke about like you know i've seen olympus has fallen this is nothing like this what, what's going on how could it how is it possible that such a disorganized mob no matter how like sizable it may be was was able to so easily infiltrate the capital um do you what think I've heard is that there were multiple breach points, so they came in from all different sides, kind of at once, mm-hmm. and that's something that the Capitol Police should have been better prepared for, and they you know locked down those points of entrance so that they couldn't have been used. But once you have multiple points of entry, 
then your game plan is completely substantially changed, right? Then there's the the great line that no battle plan survives first contact with the enemy. The Capitol Police had a game plan because this was a known thing. This 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 demonstration was known. They knew they were and coming. Then, then they come and it's like, oh wait, they're they're different than we expected. For whatever reason, they're angrier, they're uh, more engaged, they're more active, they're pushing harder than we expected them to. We don't have the level of response that we need here. Uh, maybe there was a need to tactically withdraw and back up to a more defensible position, and that encouraged them to attack. You know, I don't know enough about what happened on the ground yet. It's only three days, and we're going to have, you know, I'm sure there's going to be massive reports written about what happened here, not just, you know, history books, but also the investigations to find out what's been going on is going to be a huge undertaking. Whatever happened, there were multiple breach points, and in that chaos, so the question you were asking, though, was, what about that response? Is use of deadly force there appropriate? And I will say that the uh, police officer who fired his weapon is under uh, investigation, has been put on administrative leave pending that investigation. That all seems entirely appropriate because the protester was unarmed and needs to this needs to be reviewed. I don't think this is going to have any problems. I think there's going to be no wrongful death charges filed. This is very clearly a aggressive act against the the, uh, the institution and against the police to defending it. And even though she may not have had any weapons on her and not been a part of anything that was particularly dangerous, I think it's incredibly difficult to say that that police officer in that moment, whatever he saw, you know, maybe he saw a flash of something that gave him concern that might not have even been there. Our senses can deceive us. And in the heat of the moment, with your gun already drawn and pointed in that direction, it's all it's going to take. So I would find it very unlikely that there would be any disciplinary action in this case. And I think that that lack of disciplinary action is appropriate. Uh, It's very similar to many of the things we've seen over the past few months to years with the protests against the shooting of of black citizens who may or may not have been engaged in criminal activity. I'm going to try and provide the same level of protection for the police in all these where we're asking them to do this thing to protect people and lives, to use lethal force at times, that's part of their response, if it is appropriate, because it would potentially save lives. And sometimes that choice ends up being the wrong one. And when that happens, you know, if there's definitely the wrong choice, if they should have known better, sure, they should take some sort of penalty. But this is not anything like what we've seen on those other cases, I don't think. This was a very clear-cut case of a situation where Really, it is, as we've said, remarkable that more people weren't shot by the Capitol Police, honestly. So that's a good transition to, uh, I guess, a combination of the the Capitol Police response and, well, well, let's just start there. Uh, One thing that I saw a lot of on social media was, you know, pictures from the Black Lives Matters protests earlier on of police in full riot gear, shoulder to shoulder with the shields and the, the helmets and um, and, and the commentary being like, you know, this when uh, when black people go protesting, this is how this is what the response is. And so, like, where where was this basically for this protest? And I think that's a that's a pretty pretty good question. That's a perfectly valid response. I I think underlying a lot of these questions is the the of course there's race r- racism involved in it. I find it a little hard to believe that the Capitol Police went out there. And saw the protesters and like, ah, oh, they're white enough. We can put away the riot gear. So I'm curious if you have any thoughts on on why that such such a poor um, poor job of organizing in advance of this. Like they had to have known this was coming. There was there have been fears for 
uh, uh, months, I think it's safe to say, about violence surrounding the election and um, whether either side would accept the results and whether the president will leave office peacefully. And the president has done very little to downplay the idea. Uh, he, he's been effectively whipping his supporters up into he's a... the exact opposite. He's been very much gung-ho on this. Uh, you know, look, you got to be peaceful, but let's... <laughs> We're still going to take this back. It's still ours. Yeah, um, and so it, it's you can't hard say to say both of those things at the same time right now. <laughs> yeah, and so it's it's hard to it's hard to imagine that the Capitol Police were looking at this and be like, yeah, there's no threat here. This is going to be perfectly calm and and no problem at all. And so, do you have any theories as to why it was such a bad preparation by the by the Capitol Police? Because that was that was what was shocking to me. They get the the. the how the Capitol Police handled this is like top three easily, and probably one or two on my list of like people who should be most embarrassed by this. Like, Which obviously, is why he's resigning, right? So, yeah, he recognizes that this was a massive failure, and that he's the guy in charge. So he's falling on his sword. Good for him. That that's honorable. You know, when you make a mistake of this magnitude, resign. Cool. Good job. That said, I want to start with an answer to a question that I can actually answer rather than the one you're asking, which is a good question, but not one I can answer. Hmm. Um, so later on in the day, after curfew had been declared and as Sun has set, you did see Capitol Police as well as National Guard in riot gear enforcing and maintaining the curfew much better than what they had done earlier in the day. So they got better very, very fast. You got better. So then the question is, well, if they were capable of doing that, and in fairly short order, why did this thing go from this minor problem to a major problem that lasted for hours? Because it wasn't for about two, two and a half hours before they really got things back under control once it went bad. Why did it take that long to get it back under control? Why did they have insufficient resources to start with? I think there's been a complete misunderstanding of the level of threat that has been provided. I think that people assume still at a high level that the people who are in favor of Trump to this extent, who are gung-ho for him to the extent they are potentially willing to throw down their lives for him, that they're a very, very small group of people. There's like 20 of them. No, there are millions of them. And I know there are millions of them because there was enough that actually showed up in DC and attempted to engage in this. Most of these people, as crazy as they may feel about him, or as crazy as they feel about any of this, they got lives to live. Or they're too old, or they're too infirm. So there's going to be reasons why they're not going to be engaged. There's always just this smaller portion at these events. And if you think, if you think well, of course Trump didn't win the election because there's very few people who would like Trump, then you're going to assume that the potential for... Um, people who are willing to commit violence inside this crowd, which is already, you're going to assume, going to be small, will be even smaller, and you prepare for a small crowd. Whereas it was a big crowd, and many more of them were willing to do violence than people realized. Yeah, I mean, I, it, I mean, the man got 75 million votes. He has 88 million Twitter, or had 28, or 88 million Twitter followers. That's um, a good segue in just a second. And, uh, yeah, it just, I mean, it really boggles the mind. I don't know... I don't know what about the situation would have caused any reasonable person to think like, yeah, this, this is this is probably going to be okay. But I guess we'll, we'll, we won't know for 
until the investigation's over or uh, for, for months. So like you said, that's probably a, a, a good segue maybe to... Well, let's talk for a second about the various outcomes of this event. Obviously, the first and foremost outcome is that five people are dead, as well as another 20, maybe more, who are injured, including serious injuries. So it was, despite the fact that there was very few people being shot, still a lot of bloodshed and a lot of death and a lot of, of injuries that didn't need to happen. What are some of the other outcomes of this? Well, um, the House and Senate got together and they had their votes and they certified the election from the uh, Electoral College that night. And there were some very impassioned speeches where many Republicans who supported the president previously said, enough's enough. You know, we're willing to go along with this to such a great extent, but look, there's limits and that limit is violence. Politics is the resolution of political differences you know, elections are the resolution of these political differences by means other than violence. And when it steps into violence, then we no longer have. So when you have said that someone indicated that this is more damaging to democracy than September 11th, that in itself is why. Because we're not supposed to have violence as part of our uh, electoral process. And when we do, that's really bad. So yes, even though the number of people die- who died was so much less, the harm that this does to institutions is potentially greater. This is traumatized. Some people. I have heard uh, reports from news reporters, uh, photojournalists, and even some of the Congress people that they were absolutely appalled by the behavior, of course, reasonable, but that being close to that level of violence, that threat of that level of violence, has left some sort of psychological scar on them. How many of these Congress people, how many of these news reporters may not be able to continue on as they had? They'll have some significant change of heart. And some of them were having changes of heart right then, where they were saying, nope, I'm done with Trump, I'm done with this madness, I'm going to vote to certify the election, even though I was planning not to earlier, because of what I've seen, I can't go forward with this anymore, we need to move past this, whatever he's selling, I can't be buying anymore. No matter what I might actually think about it, whether I agree with him on his politics or not, this is not okay. So those are very significant changes. And then, of course, over the next couple of days, uh, we've had uh, situations where Twitter and other social media has have removed President Trump. He is no longer on uh, social media to any extent. He can't incite violence anymore. Uh, Google Play has removed the conservative social media commentary platform Parler from its service. Apple has threatened to do the same. What this also means, though, is that we're shutting down conversations rather than actually addressing the concern. We're trying to say, look, we'll just stop people from talking about it rather than addressing that underlying concern. And I don't think that's the greatest solution, but maybe it is something that's necessary in the the short term. Because the reason why Google and Apple were shutting down Parler is because that was the communications device that the group was using to organize the events and was allegedly going to continue to use to organize similar events for more violence in the future. And if you have a platform that is going to be the path for coordinating violence, maybe it is an appropriate response to shut that down. But I will say that as soon as I heard that Apple was threatening to remove Parler from the Apple uh, App Store, I went and downloaded it. (laughs) Not because I like social media. I clearly hate social media. Not because I'm ever going to use it. But there is nothing that will get me to download an app faster than saying it's going to be taken away from me and I'm not allowed to use it. There's... On the one side, there's FOMO, fear of missing out. And on the other side is, you can't tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. So both of those are incredibly damaging, risky backlash responses that can come from trying to do something like this, even if it's well-intended. Or but the Twitter, 
the Barbra Streisand effect. I mean, how many people really even knew what Parler was before <laughs> Apple threatened to take it down? Yeah, I knew what Parler was, but who cared, right? Yeah, I still right. don't actually care. Just because I have it downloaded doesn't mean I'm ever actually going to use it. But the, the fact that you're telling me I can't have it, no, no, no. You can't tell me I can't have something. So well, I mean, even if it's for my best interest. Facebook, Twitter, Google, Spotify, Snapchat, Instagram, Shopify, Reddit, Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, and Pinterest. That's the list that, that I found online about the platforms that have banned or restricted President Trump. That's a long list. What was list. President Trump doing on Twitch? Uh, that I do not know. That's Well, if he ever decides to create an account, he can't, right? Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. Or maybe he was, you know, trying to appeal to the youngins with his mad League of Legends skills or whatever. Or Fortnite, I don't know. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, it's it's kind of it's it's kind of surprising. Um, what do you think about Twitter banning Trump while simultaneously allowing, for example, the supreme leader of Iran, who I believe has called for the extermination of Israel? Um, I might be off base there, but it's I'm probably close enough. Um, has he done it on Twitter? <laughs> possibly not. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure he has called for the extermination of Israel, but did he post it on Twitter? Um. Oh, well, how about this? I I believe that the Chinese PR agency, I'm not I'm not sure exactly what the Twitter handle is supposed to represent, but it's basically one of the official uh, Republic of China Twitter handles was had a tweet basically bragging about some program that they have for the Uyghurs that helps improve like their, um, I don't even remember what it was. It like helps improve like gender equity because they're no longer no longer worried about having children because and so they can like pursue their careers or something. It was some horrible tweet. Um, that, yeah, that sounds really bad. I mean, all you had to say was program for the Uyghurs, and it's like, <laughs> oh, that's gonna I, go badly, isn't it? Yeah, I, I I probably I probably scrambled some of it, but it was it was a bad tweet. Basically, I I I can look it up later. Um, I I feel like, I, and I know this is totally like missing. The big picture in terms of like how can we be worried about the president being banned from Twitter in the in the aftermath of this big major capital thing? I but. don't think it's all that much of a stretch. I think it is actually one of the more significant things that's going on here. I am very critical of social media and Twitter in particular is one of the ones that's at the front forefront of my uh, ire. But there is no doubt that President Trump used Twitter much more than many people. It was his tool of venting and, and communicating with a large number of people, including many of his followers who checked up on him on Twitter. So it's a big, big deal, even if it isn't as big a deal as people dying. It's still a huge deal. And the reason why Twitter has changed the rules is to try and prevent more people from dying. And that is, on the surface, applaudable. You know, that's, that's a good decision. If you have something that you can do that might save a life, then you should do it. I agree. Whether or not they're accurate in that assessment is another question, but... I'm I'm torn. I would say I think that Twitter probably is overreacting here. I understand, and that that's with me saying that this thing that Trump probably incited was really really bad and shouldn't have happened, and that Trump is ultimately responsible for it on a variety of levels. Sure, but Trump's gone from the presidency in two weeks. That means he's no longer in that position of power, and additional leeway that you've afforded him because of that role that he has. Therefore, if you just wait two weeks, you can remove him. And I expected that. That would have been fine. And then they don't have to try and handle the POTUS account either. 
They're just like, oh, it's been handed over to Biden, and it's fine. It's good to go. Now they have blocked the real Donald J. Trump account. They've locked the POTUS account of Trump. And they're locking many of Trump's associate accounts because they're concerned or having evidence that Trump is trying to post through those. You know, he, And what happened was, as soon as Trump's main account, real Donald Trump, got locked down, he immediately stood up, started posting his BS from the POTUS account. So like, okay, we have to lock that one down now, too. And that is the POTUS account. They've locked an official government account. I think that's probably not right. It's two weeks, guys. Just get rid of him in two weeks. It's all going to be over in two weeks. Two weeks is a long time. Two weeks is plenty of time for more bad stuff to happen. But whether or not that's an appropriate response from Twitter, I'm not convinced. As for the other question, uh, why, why now? Why not those other people? I think part of it is that America is bigger and more important, uh, to, uh, to certainly to Twitter and possibly to much of the world. Donald Trump is the biggest problem, the highest uh, profile user who's actually using it himself, who's using it frequently to do these bad things specifically on the platform. And he's also so much more high profile and in English, which makes it a lot easier. It's widespread language across the internet. And also the language that the moderators are most likely to be reading and following on. And also the moderators tend to be American, so this is something much closer to home for them. Now that the dam has been broken and the, they've decided to start blocking accounts for stuff like this, I think that it is more likely that they will use that in future cases. Um, they've decided that enough is enough and Section 230 be damned, they're going to be censors. And because I'm a crazy libertarian with nuanced positions on these things that make total sense to me, but I've I found that they are confusing as hell to other people. So I want to be very, very clear about this. There are three things about this that I can believe at the same time that I don't believe are contradictory in the slightest. The first one is that Twitter, as a private entity, has every right to ban or restrict whoever the hell they want. Yes, they have the right to arbitrarily ban Trump. They could ban me tomorrow because they don't like the sound of my last name. That is their right. Number two, I can still think it's a bad idea for them to be doing this to be banning donald trump or 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 basically taking it upon themselves to decide which speech is acceptable and which speech isn't i am more on the side of a free speech zealot and i i use that term very specifically not first amendment because the first amendment applies to the government i'm more of a general cultural societal free speech i i'm more of the opinion that Twitter as a platform that is supposed to be for communicate for people communicating with other people should not be arbitrarily or I think it's pretty safe to say largely arbitrarily banning people like sure they have their reasons for banning Trump but there's plenty of other like I pointed out there's plenty of other accounts that you can also point to and be like these are just as bad um, and the third thing is that just because I think it's a bad idea doesn't mean I like the speech right this is like the, the ACLU supporting the rights of the Nazis to march in, in Skokie, right? I think that the Nazis should have been able to, to march. That does not mean I like the Nazis. This, is, this shouldn't be a hard thing to, to hold these two, two opposing viewpoints, right? Like, if you don't believe in freedom of speech for speech that you dislike, then you don't really believe in freedom of speech. You just believe in, in the speech that you like. And I, I think this is... I think this is really dangerous in, in two respects. Is it, One is a slippery slope, right? Like, once you've kind of opened the dam and decided, like, well, Twitter is going to be the arbiter of of what's allowed and what's not allowed, 
it's it's just going to continue to it's going to expand it's going to be hard not to because you're going to have people be like well i didn't like that person because they i I don't even know what will be next they made fun of me and words are violence now um i don't like this person because they accidentally used the wrong pronouns or whatever it is actually i think that's already happening um but the other reason I, i i really don't like this is because it's just it's just furthering the divide right like you if you're gonna Donald Trump had 88 million followers. He's the head of the Republican Party. He got 75 million votes. He represents a lot of Americans and their political preferences. And removing him from Twitter and forcing him onto another platform, guess what, guys? Now we just have (laughs) another example of two Americas where the two sides aren't talking at all, and there's going to be echo chambers on each side, and it's just going to increase polarization. I don't think very much is gained from having the Twitter for the left and the parlor for the right, or the, the the Facebook for the left and whatever else is the 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 gab or whatever it is for the right. Um, I think the best way to deal with bad speech or speech that you don't like is to engage with it and to 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 show how it's stupid and dumb. It's not to sh- to especially when you're when you have all these people who already think that the entire world is against them, right? You, you, th- there's a very real sense from conservatives. And I think a lot of it is, is very valid that the Hollywood is against them, the media is against them, the academia is against them, everyone in any sort of sense of power is against them. And now seeing these Silicon Valley tech overlords also be against them, that's just going to increase the, what's the word, there's, alienation resent- of, of these people. There's going to be resentment. And, and resentment, yes. I don't think you're wrong, and I'm very much pro-free speech, pro-cultural free speech, not just governmental free speech. Absolutely, uh, we agree there. And that's perhaps one of the places where us having so many agreements politically is a little bit dangerous for us uh, speaking on this podcast, because there's plenty of people out there who are going to say, well, of course we need to shut this down, because that's the only right and proper thing to do to prevent violence. Especially, and here I'm going to at least be arguing um, as a devil's advocate, if not something that I actually believe myself, I'm not entirely sure here. Look, We've had four or five years of Donald Trump conversations going on on Twitter where we've attempted to engage with him in some way and communicate and say, look, these are things you shouldn't be saying. These are conspiracy theories. Please don't post these tweets. And the level of response has been getting more and more serious in terms of official response from Twitter. No, you you actually can't post that on Twitter. We're going we're gonna to remind people that this is a contested statement. We're going to remind people that this is not necessarily what everyone agrees about. We're going to block this particular tweet. You know, and that's been more recent, and those have been points of discussion as well. But that's after many years of well, let's nudge people, let's disengage as much as we can from this, or engage in more healthy ways rather than shouting past each other. You know, the reason that we're concerned about echo chambers and and polarization is that we're concerned people are going to go off and only listen to their own side. But it doesn't matter even if they're in the same room because they're shouting over. No one's listening; they're talking. And if you're just talking and not listening, then there's no real engagement going on, no matter what the platform is. So all this is, is that I don't think Twitter is responsible for the cultural differences that already existed, nor are they the best mediator now or ever uh, to try and resolve those cultural differences. But neither is Trump, neither is Biden. And until we can get to those places where we can recognize that the people on the right are still human beings, that their views are not anathema, that the people on the left are reasonable human beings, not out trying to rape our kids or hurt people, 
then we're going to be in a lot of pain in this country because we will have two divided Americas that aren't talking to each other. And that's not going to stop just because Trump isn't on Twitter anymore. I'm really looking forward to the the new movement of Twitter labeling tweets uh, with this claim is disputed and being the arbiter of, you know, what statements are disputable. Like, I'm looking forward to when someone posts like, you know, The Last Jedi was the best Star Wars movie and Twitter's like, this claim is disputed, right? Or something two plus along those two is lines. Four, and this claim is disputed. Exactly. So, um, yeah, man, I don't like I have I have never thought I still think that your claim that Facebook is the most evil thing of ever human history is a laughable statement. And yet I have I've definitely lost a lot of respect's the wrong word because I don't know if I necessarily had a ton of respect for Facebook and Twitter. But like I, I really dislike a lot of the moves they have made of platforms lately and this has very it only is partially to do with the fact that it thinks that paul versus the market is a spam account and it won't let me post any updates to it despite constantly asking me to spend money on advertising for it thank you facebook um but just like the constant harassment about like hey did you register to vote did you register to vote you can register to vote here's how you vote and i'm like no i I've, i'm on top of it dudes like i already know please stop harassing me please please stop spamming me and they just won't is every day, constantly, and I'm, I won't go into it anymore. But I think at one point we were going to transition into maybe a, a comparison, a, a contrast with the Black Lives Matters protest and this this Trump protest. Uh, so I don't know we, if you had anything necessarily to. I'll just say we've had a year of violent protests in America. This is something that's um, abnormal. We've had violent protests in America in our lifetime, but never quite this many for this long. We had entire months of violent protests in Portland. We've had severe violent uprisings in Minnesota, in Georgia, in many places across the country, and most cities, most major cities, and in every state, there has been some level of some political violence going on in 2020 into 2021 now. And that's remarkable. It shows the level of discontent that exists. And so it is something that has already been being discussed. And I think it's appropriate for us to look at it a little bit as well, to compare and contrast the level of violence going on in some of these events and see if we can come to some conclusion about what this means about the groups engaged. The words being used to describe the people who stormed the Capitol on January 6th are many and varied. The word that I have used myself, and I think you disagree with me on this one, as I've called them traitors. The, this was treason, where they were engaging in violence against the government. Uh, and the Constitution is pretty clear about what we're supposed to do to traitors. And that's really unhealthy. Meanwhile... We don't have the same level of things for Black Lives Matter protesters, even though in many cases they were also engaged in violence against the due authorities in the area. You have you know, a police station being burned down. You have police officers being assaulted. And in several cases, you have people injured and wounded and killed as part of these protests. Now, uh, it's, it's a little more compact in the capital. It's all together all at once. And it's a different group. But ultimately, you know, 
I think both are really bad. I want to clarify that. I don't like the protests that the the BLM have done as general uh, protests, because I don't think it's particularly effective. I think it's gotten them a lot of attention, but I don't think that all attention is a good thing here. And meanwhile, I think that the invasion of the Capitol building was really bad, with no benefit. So on the one hand, I can say, well, at least we got some benefit out of the BLM protests. And on this case, we got no benefit and all downside. So I'm much more in favor of the Black Lives Matter protests, as it turns out. I didn't know we were going to be ranking them as, as one and two. Uh, yeah, I I'm interested. I am a little interested in to the terminology that we use, right? Like traitor. I'm not. I understand where you're coming from. It's not a term that I would personally use, but I. It's it's hard to argue against it, right? Like yes, technically they were kind of. Uh, they were invading the 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 center of legislative power, federal legislative power in the country, with the hopes to overturn an election, and that's pretty traitorous in, in some in some fa- fashions, uh, in some sense. Um, I guess I ch- I like to try to avi- avoid hyperbole whenever possible, and I feel like the terms insurrection and coup and traitors and treason they feel like a little, a little much to me, right? Like there's, there's plenty of times when you can, you can label stuff in, in the worst case scenario. And this doesn't seem to weigh up to it. I think it was awful. I think they should be arrested. I think they should be, um, and, and charged and, and the, uh, I, it's, it's understandable why, um, I even, I even understand why that woman was shot, right? Like, when you when you invade the capital like that, you have to imagine that even if you're unarmed and not necessarily making any threatening gestures, that you're putting your life in your hands in someone else's hands there because you should not be there. Um, and they're misguided at best; they're horribly misguided. Um, so, yeah, treason, traitors, sure, I'm I'm fine with that term, but it's not one that I'm I'm necessarily happy about being thrown about. Let me go back to the woman who was shot again, because I think it's also very important. We expect our police officers to be well-trained and excellent shots, but human beings are human beings, and sometimes the training isn't as good as we want it to be, and sometimes they don't go to the range as often as they ought to, and so this woman was shot in the neck, and we are assuming that he meant to shoot her, not the person standing next to her, who might have been carrying a weapon. Again, mm-hmm. we don't know exactly what went on here. Uh, there are plenty of cases where police officers are shooting the wrong targets, are firing dozens or hundreds of rounds and missing with most of them. So there are a couple of rules for dealing with people who are armed. First rule is that when the person is armed, you don't do anything that's going to want them, make them want to shoot you, like holding a weapon and engaging in violence in front of them, towards them. The second thing you want to do is don't be standing next to anyone doing that kind of stuff either. So it's very important to realize that, okay, there could have been two mistakes here, where one mistake is firing the weapon when it didn't necessarily need to have been fired. And the other one is maybe he just missed. Yeah. Uh, I definitely am not assuming that he intended to hit her in the neck, at least, right? Like, I I don't shoot a lot of guns. I've, I've gone maybe two or three times on random bachelor parties or whatever to the range and shot clay pigeons or whatever. Um, but I, you know, I, I know that with a, a handgun, th- 
the accuracy isn't isn't the greatest with any kind of distance, especially if things are moving fast and and people are moving and it's a moving target coming at you or whatever it is. Especially like, if you've got a lot of adrenaline going. Yeah, and it, it, your hands could be shaking. Like it, there's a lot of stuff that could be going on, and I I find it hard to believe that anyone would ever be trying to shoot someone in the neck, right? Like, aren't you supposed to like? If you're trying to shoot to kill, you're probably trying to aim for the chest because it's the easiest target. Um, if you're and if you're trying to shoot to slow them down, you're probably aiming for legs or something like that. Although I think that's anyway. It, this is probably needless speculation, but um, there was oh one other comparison that I thought was interesting is that um, there are some people on Twitter who have posted kind of side by side, side by side screenshots of I believe it was Vox. And one of them was like, uh, with in reference to the Black Lives Matters uh, protests, was um, you know sometimes you have I'm going to get the headline wrong, but it was effectively like yes, sometimes protests have to get violent in order to progress like social issues or something like that. And the second one was for the Capitol attacks, where it's like basically all these people are horrible people and they should all be arrested and thrown in jail forever. That's hyperbole, admittedly, but right. But to the point I wonder, is made that this is, you know, how people are viewing it, that people on the left will view the Black Lives Matter protests as right and justified and that nothing they did was necessarily all that wrong, even if it wasn't the best, because sometimes you have to be more forceful to get the attention across. And this one is all bad, right? And that's, that's I'm closer to that in my statements already. And I consider myself to be fairly conservative. But when I had conversations uh, about this with some of my conservative-leaning relatives and friends, the very first thing that I said when I called these people traitors was, well, what about those folks who you know burnt down the police buildings? It's like, okay, yes, I understand. And if you can find the person who threw a firebomb and you want to arrest them for um, arson, certainly, treason, I'll consider it. You know, But we're not at that point. I'm talking about this one thing. And definitely we're in a situation where two wrongs don't make a right. I'm not going to say that just because someone else got off on a miscarriage of justice means that I don't want to engage in justice on this issue. Second... I have a really interesting question for you on this one, which is okay. related to obviously firing the gun or smashing someone over the head with a fire hydrant. That is physical violence. That is a violent act, and no one is going to dispute that. Is property destruction violence? Because this is a thing that causes a lot of um, failure to understand the conversation from one side to the other. I am inclined to think that in many cases, property destruction can be violence. But I know that many liberals would be uh, appalled to hear that as an idea. Where do you come down on it? So I, I think I know. I think I know what you're getting at. To me, and it's weird because usually I'm I'm kind of pedantic about these things. I don't really care if we call it violence or not. Like I don't know why that makes a huge difference. I think that, but I do think that the property damage is very bad, and it's something that people routinely kind of dismiss right like it's like oh there were riots and the whole block burned down but you know nobody died it's like okay but how many small businesses were completely wiped out and their their lives are effectively ruined like, and how much of that no one got hurt was attributable to luck more than anything else exactly i mean like if if i had some small business that my parents had passed down to me and like a, a restaurant or something and it just got smashed to hell and, and burned down and not not only is is my livelihood ruined, but all the people that I employed are ruined. Like it's it's devastating to that community. Like that, it's it's hard to imagine anything more like 
devastating in such a short amount of time than a riot just like just you know completely destroys a couple blocks of a city like that's that's awful and i think a lot of times people just kind of shrug it off and like ah insurance will cover it or whatever it's 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 just property it's just it's just stuff man like who cares if uh, even even it's not just like the small businesses either like when you have like the the target or whatever and people are smashing windows and and pulling out this big screen tvs like chains can pull out they can look at that and say like you know what it's not worth having a store in this place that already maybe wasn't super profitable and now we have to put up with the fact that every couple of years it might just get completely burned to the ground and we'll have to rebuild it so we're not going to build a store there and that's awful too it's not just in the heat of the moment the things that were burned down it's stuff that happens in the future too and if this if a city or or a certain section of a city has a history of of unrest where every once in a while it's just things burn down then you good luck finding people to invest capital in that area and and growing that area and and becoming more affluent so um violence I, I would come down on no probably because I tend to th- think of like the the kind of a more strict definition of the non-aggression principle where violence kind of has to be against a person or at least against a living thing and property isn't quite that but I do think it's I do think property destruction as is also very very destructive and and under underrated if you will maybe that's the wrong word it's often not thought about as much as it should be i think that's a fair point and ultimately what it gets to is that you know one of the things that is is clear about the uh, the incident on january 6th is that it has gotten a very significant response people are reacting to it and changing behaviors changing votes changing levels of discussion changing twitter policies etc violence gets a response and if a person is upset and wants to be a squeaky wheel, what they're being told again and again is just get violent and you'll get a response. It won't be the response you want. It won't necessarily be a good response, but suddenly people are going to pay attention and care about the things you care about, not in the way that you want them to again. So this is definitely, I want to be very clear. No one should be engaging in violence because of those things. The squeaky wheel getting greased here is not going to be in your favor if you're going to be violent. But it is certainly a way of getting attention on something that could not get attention through other means. And that, I think, ends up being very dangerous as well. So I, I want to be, I want to be very clear because I've had these I've had debates before and, and unless I'm extremely careful, people always find a way to kind of assume uh, assume the worst out of out of my argument or or say like, oh, so you're saying dot dot dot. I think what happened at the Capitol is awful terrible shouldn't have happened arrest everybody full stop i think the violence and the rioting and the looting that was associated with the black lives matters protests also terrible awful arrest all of them full stop to me the vi- the violence is, the violence and the destruction is unacceptable and i don't really care if anything good may have come out of it um i don't care if it was mostly peaceful Sure, the peaceful guy, the peaceful protesters, they're fine. The violent ones, though, that's unacceptable, and they they should be prosecuted and jailed and everything like that. What what concerns me is that, and and this is coming from discussing talking to people on both sides. I have I have friends on both sides. 
is that nobody seems to have the sense of well let me let me flip it people have the sense that somehow two wrongs make a right right there's this this like what aboutism where it's like hey look that side did this and so we're perfectly justified in doing this and if you criticize us for this then we'll just say like well they did it first and we're going to do it even even bigger and better. This has happened a lot for the uh, discussing court packing. Uh, a, a lot of a lot of my liberal friends are like gung ho about court, court packing, and I am aghast at this. I think this is awful. And the response has always been, "Well, but the Republicans have been playing; they've been doing all these dirty tricks." And I'm like, "I don't care. Two wrongs don't make a right." And saying they started it is a playground thing that we we're supposed to have outgrown in grade school, right? Like, if we continue down this path where there's the two parties and they're constantly looking at the worst aspects of the other party and saying, like, they did it so we can do it and we can do it worse, then this is a bad spiral. And I do not like it. I do not like it one bit. You're uh, you're in Mitch McConnell territory there. He is unhappy with where things are in that level of spiral as well. And that's one of the reasons why <laughs> well, he, he's like, he was, he was involved in it. Well, he was involved in the spiral. Yeah, he's like, yeah. okay, that's the end. That is the end of the spiral for me. This, he he this was the, the conductor of the locomotive going down that spiral for a lot and, of the he, past he eight years. He hit the e-brake there and yeah. said, "This this far and no further, President Trump and all others, we're certifying this vote and it's over." Yeah, but it's it's not going to end here. No, just because McConnell think it's end here? Done, he, he has his power is being diminished now, and Schumer is going to be in charge, and he is going to push it further because it's in his interest now to push it further. We'll see where that goes. And and I mean, if you look at the, the left, they they have no – so many of the messages from the left is like it's about vengeance and getting revenge and like we, we need to take down names. Like th- th- these are things that people are saying. Like they need to take down the names of the people who, you know, helped Trump out and, and worked in his administration and these people like – they need to be remembered for this for for life. Like they need to have a scarlet letter on their chest, right? And so I I don't I don't see this ending. I, I don't see it getting any better. Um, I I just see I just see it getting worse. And I'm not sure I'm not sure what's going to end it. I'm I'm sorry to sound sound like a downer, but I'm on it's my, my second beer here. Stop taking my job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, do you disagree? No, unfortunately. Um, I'm, I'm actually slightly more hopeful right now than I have been at other points because, as I mentioned several podcasts back, I see a moment of violence like this as a pressure release valve for the pressure that was building up and bubbling over and causing – this might be the little bit of violence that helps prevent a full-blown civil war. That, again, doesn't make it a good thing, but it may make it the best thing for that situation that couldn't be controlled otherwise. Like, if we're going to have a situation where we can't learn to talk with each other, then at least we can postpone this for a little while and and try and find that place where we can find the common ground and not have the Civil War still. But things look really bad because there, there are very disparate sides. They're very far apart, and they're not willing to see each other as people and human beings worthy of this uh, dignity and respect, let alone as members of the citizens of the same country, right? It'd be, frankly, it'd be a whole lot easier if we did have two Americas, two literal Americas right now. The, the, The idea of the Republican America being a physically separate America would be more easily attainable than trying to reconcile them right now. So 
let me ask you this. Four years from now, a little less than four years from now, when we have Vice President Kamala Harris running against Senator Ted Cruz, and Ted Cruz wins the Electoral College by whatever, 10, 12, 15 uh, electoral votes, but loses the popular vote by 5 million or whatever it is. And there's the usual chicanery of voting irregularities and claims of voter suppression in Florida, Ohio, whatever battleground state you, you want to talk about. You don't think that there's going to be some tiny percentage, again, I want to stress, a tiny percentage of people on the left who are like, well, well fuck, last time, when we clearly, clearly had the victory, look what they did. We're far more justified in doing at least that much here. I, I'm terrified that's what's going to happen. As a hypothetical, I can't find any particular fault with your reasoning. Uh, there are reasons why I can hope that that would not be the case. And there are reasons why I think that that is an unlikely path for a variety of reasons. You know, the specific people you named are not particularly relevant, but the, the path that you're mentioning is more important. And even then, that path has some problems. The first problem it has is the idea that the Electoral College will still be a non-flipped thing going into the 2024 election that there won't have been some substantial change to it. Already, there's been uh, a number of states that have signed on to the interstate compact. Uh, there could be a congressional amendment, a co- constitutional amendment through the democratically controlled Congress. Who knows? That seems to be a high priority to turn our Republican system to a more democratic one. And if that happens, then it makes it less likely that a Ted Cruz-style politician could win because he can't win the minority states by such large percentage to control the uh, electoral college that doesn't mean even if that happens that you couldn't have a um, demagogic and incendiary republican candidate winning a majority of the population and the same problem could still occur so the path that you lead us down in that hypothetical despite being you know fraught with issues is a thing that could happen, and if it does happen, will there be some people who would feel compelled or at least encouraged and permitted to do something similar again? Sure. But hopefully, four years is enough time to forget some of it, especially if we can have four years of simmering and peaceful commentary and and finding somebody on the other side to talk to and say, okay, you're actually a human being that... I may disagree with on this issue, but I can recognize you as a person. If it's four years of escalating tensions and four years of more incendiary rhetoric, and maybe that's why Twitter banning Trump and Twitter taking these further steps is so important, because yes, I am fully aware that Twitter is not the conversation, but Twitter dominates the conversation space. The Facebook dominates the conversation space. And as long as that is ongoing in a way that is so incendiary, I don't have a whole lot of hope. No. See, well, so so two things. One, the I brought up the Electoral College for just that reason, because I know how much of a sore point it is with the Democrats. And you could just as easily say, okay, let's say the Democrats get in, into power and using their majority in the legislature and the presidency. Uh, actually, they can't. I don't think the no. Democrats can really do this because they don't have the, the they don't have the state um, governments in general. The Republicans still have the majority of state governments, right? I believe that there are three paths 
Um, but either, any of them require two-thirds approval from Congress, I would say. So they don't have the two-thirds in Congress regardless. Well, let's just say something happens and the Democrats somehow on party line votes overturn the Electoral College. And then you have you, you have an election where, let's say, Marco Rubio would have gotten the sufficient electoral votes if it weren't for those darn cheating Democrats, sarcasm, in terms of or changing the system. And then the conservatives are going to feel butthurt. And so it, it feels like no matter what, there's going to be somebody, uh, roughly whatever, 35% of the country is going to be pissed off. Um, the, the second point was, what was it about? Oh, yes. Uh, removing Trump from Twitter. Um, I don't know if that's going that to... Im- that may improve things on the surface, but I don't think that gets rid of the, the underlying feelings that are out there. Trump kind of came out of nowhere in 2016, and I think that was because a lot of people weren't necessarily listening to the concerns that his base had in terms of um, the disappearing manufacturing sector and, and whatever whatever else it was. I don't I don't claim to fully understand Trump's base, but um, he definitely has a base that's very dedicated to him, and I think all we're doing is we're going around and we're just clicking on mute on all the different places that we hear those people. Um, starting with Twitter here, and and we already know that outside of Fox News, which I can't imagine most people listen to. Well, I guess a lot of people do listen to it. But anyway, like most media, I think it's it's fairly safe to say is, is fairly liberal. Um, Hollywood, fairly liberal. And so we're at academia, fairly liberal. So we're just we're continuously muting these people in all aspects of society. And Sure, maybe that makes society sound better, but I don't know if that fixes the problem. That's like the equivalent of your your engine's making some weird noises, so you turn the radio up so you don't hear it anymore. Your engine's still got some serious problems with it, and it could blow up in your face at any moment. Just because you can't hear it anymore doesn't mean the problem's gone. And that's kind of what concerns me, is that instead of trying to, to change minds or win hearts or... Um, or, or like you were saying, just see people as human beings that maybe disagree with you on a couple of, let's be honest, largely inconsequential stuff. Like, I would say most conservatives, most liberals agree on like 99% of stuff, right? Like, oh, we should, you know, raise our kids to be honest and we should like not steal and not murder. It's like borderline stuff about like oh well exactly how much stuff from china should we be importing or how much should we be taxing it and stuff like that and so i i don't know i was inclined to let this go because you were wrapping this up very very nicely oh and then i had to do that last thing yeah you're throwing something on that i think is very important for me to make a point on here which is that your is it it abortion no okay maybe no (laughs) yes Because ultimately what you're saying is you've got all these economic issues. You know, the manufacturing jobs are gone. I don't fully understand what's going on with the Trump base and taxes and imports from China. You're talking about economics. And economics aren't not important. The, the melange it's the economy, of, stupid. The melange of the Trump's base is one-third economic and two-thirds cultural. So it is not incorrect to look at the economic issues. But it is even inside of that, the minority of the thing. The problem is the cultural issues. And the cultural issues are the ones that are being shut down. Those are the ones that are really being muted. 
People are willing to have conversations about taxes or how do we get more money to these people. And they're not necessarily good conversations, but conversations are happening. But no one wants to have conversations about the cultural issues because everyone on both sides assumes that they're the ones who are right about the culture and no one else can possibly have the correct idea because culture is the most important thing. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. And I I probably went too far. I, I was trying to have a big like kind of kumbaya moment, like a pox on both your houses. Like, both sides are equally bad, man. And like... Uh, if they can just see each other as the same and we'll all be happy. But I do think that there is more of a tendency by the left to basically demonize anybody who disagrees with them on cultural issues, right? Like the cancel culture thing. I don't think it's uh, just on the left, you know, on the right, you're going to have a lot of why, why is QAnon so successful with promulgating views of Democrats as baby murderers and and, uh, child rapists? Well, because of cultural issues. It doesn't mean that they're true or factual, but there is, you know, because Democrats do support abortion, by and large, across the board, as a party plank, it's a lot easier to paint them as people who are okay with baby murder and infanticide. And and you might be right. Maybe it is just as prevalent on the right, but because I basically don't get a lot of expo- I mean, like I was saying, like where does the normal person outside of maybe family dinners with your crazy uncle or if you decide to intentionally watch Fox News, where does the normal person get any kind of exposure to? And, and here we're talking about our own bubble, right? Like obviously if you – for a lot of places in the country, you live in a conservative area. Like everyone around you is conservative. But for us, we don't really see it as much. The, the, I, I think Again, going back, I think the national – Hollywood national is is fairly liberal. I think most colleges, academia and stuff, fairly liberal. I think most national medias are fairly liberal. So I think most people don't necessarily see that. I don't see it as much. So you could be right that it's it's just as prevalent on both sides. But I I do think that that is that has been a major contributor. I think to I, I think it all ties together, right? Like. Well, let's let's look at it one more time for the culture. You were talking about how the the court packing is something that is very much a big issue for liberals. Why? Because of the cultural issues. Again, abortion is important to both sides, and because now they have replaced Ruth Bader Ginsburg with Amy Coney Barrett, boom! Now it's a huge cultural issue. And if you want to protect rights to abortion, then you need to pack the court. Otherwise, eventually they're going to overturn it. That's the fear. And it's an understandable fear, but it's a cultural fear, not an economic one. Well, and it's crazy because, look, okay, I understand how you can stoke up the fears every once in a while. But I think if you look at the past, oh gosh, how we are old, like 30 years or so of the culture war, and it has been a constant steady drumbeat of liberal success and conservative retreat, right? Like abortion has largely gotten more entrenched as a right in america um that's not how people see it sorry that's not how people see it because there have been substantial progress on and i say progress and people would say regression on state laws which will limit 
the role uh, that an abortion can have inside the state. There have been states that have attempted to effectively, without literally, banning abortion. There are states where it is essentially impossible to get an abortion due to state laws, and they're being overturned again as these things go forward because it is still legal. But there have been successes by Republican legislatures at the state level to dramatically limit the capacity for abortions to be had in this country. So yes, the Supreme Court has routinely upheld it as legal and reaffirmed that right, but they have not successfully expanded the right, nor protected it in many states in the country. Sure, I I would say it's fair to say the pro-life movement has won a number of battles, but I think it's pretty indisputable that the war has been won by the left. I mean, ever since Roe v. Wade, there has abortion has effectively been legal everywhere. And I understand your point that in some states it is practically impossible or or very difficult to get an abortion. And that's something to be to be noted clearly. But I mean in politics it's it's a it's constant especially in our two party system, it's a constant pendulum, right? Like Obamacare and then we're gonna abolish Obamacare and then tax cuts and then tax hikes and it's just Everything keeps on going back and forth. Well, abortion really hasn't. It's been legalized, and then there's been some slight tinkering around the edges. But even if we set that aside, I mean, drug legalization, uh, gay rights, I mean, pretty much they've all been... Is there any culture issue that hasn't gone the liberals' way over the past 30 years? I'm drawing a blank right now, but I'm sure there's probably something that I'm... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, first of all, I'm going to continue to push back and disagree with you on the abortion one because you're sure. wrong. Uh, <laughs> and then I would say that uh, the there are probably fewer. Obviously, the liberal successes of uh, gay marriage, uh, but even that, I don't know that that is such a huge liberal success. I mean, you can even look back as we have to the beginning of the Obama presidency, and President Obama was very clearly not interested in engaging on that issue, even though it basically took place under his watch. So in the period of eight years, we had that tremendous switch over. And that, is, tends, that tends to be how we see things on these cultural issues. Abortion went from effectively illegal in the entire country to effectively legal overnight because of Roe v. Wade. And so the victories come to both sides in sweeping ways that really can change the entire country. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I think people are so scared of them hmm. from both directions. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's possible. Um, hmm. Immigration, maybe. Immigra- has, immigration has been a disaster for both sides, honestly. I'm I'm trying to think. I, I'm not even entirely sure. But yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's another cultural one. Then it's become much more of an issue for both sides as this has gone on. And you know that was one of the things that Trump got elected. It wasn't so much the economic. Again, he, he managed to tap into the cultural zeitgeist of the conservatives. And people said, look, we may not like you, but you're our last best hope for getting our cultural values through. And we'll support you for it to the death. <laughs> yeah, well, for one person, it came down to that. Anything else we should talk about for the the nine days of this year so far? Any what any a crazy projections? twenty years? Uh, twenty twenty was a bad year. Twenty twenty one is not off to a great start. Uh, we still have all the problems of twenty twenty. <laughs> we still have coronavirus. We still have charging numbers of deaths and infection rates. Um, the economy uh, on the local level, the individuals still not good. And and now we have even greater political unrest. So no, I'm. Um, this is historically significant. We live in interesting times. 
it's really unfortunate that we do. I wish everyone to stay healthy and safe. And hopefully we can continue to bring you insight from a different perspective. And I'll just add, you know, try try to try to listen to the other side as human beings. I'll, I'll I, I'm going to go back to my my kumbaya trying to wrap up here the thing. Like, I would I would say that 99% of the people on this planet are good people, and almost everyone that I've met in my life, I think individually is a good person, even if I probably disagree strongly with a lot of their politics, and that's probably because I'm a weirdo in terms of politics. But just because I disagree with somebody strongly about their politics doesn't mean we can't have a beer, play a board game, play a video game, talk about sports, whatever. And actually there's, there's one more thing. (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't bring this up, but just quickly, like I saw a number of people on social media who took the events at the Capitol very hard in terms of like, uh, you know, I've been crying all day or like just talking about how traumatic it was and everything. And look, I understand I'm a cold, heartless bastard who doesn't have feelings, but to me, I'm like, I feel like you're too invested in politics at that point. Like, I understand it's like it was a big historic thing. It was a bad thing that happened, right? And I can see how it could be a little unsettling. But to to be so invested in the the two, in politics to where like something like that causes you to just be completely fall apart for for days, I, I think it shows an unhealthy. It it shows the unhealthy way that politics has invaded everyday life that I don't think is healthy for individuals or for us as a country. And I think that's also part of the problem. And the more we can get away from that, the better off we'll be as a country. What happens in D.C. should not matter to people. Yeah, it does. Well, ideally for us crazy libertarians, yes. But at the very least, I think we can all agree that like, it, whichever party is in power shouldn't matter so, so, so very much to people to where they're completely miserable for four years if the quote-unquote wrong party is in power and so super giddy for four, four years if quote-unquote the right party is in power. Like, especially, and I know this is, again, the crazy libertarian, but like, especially when there's not that huge of a difference between the parties a lot of times in terms of what comes out of there. But maybe you'll disagree. I don't. Necess- I wasn't trying to egg you on. I'm sorry. <laughs> Me specifically, or the audience? You specifically, because the last time I was like, eh, you know, the culture war. It's been all a slaughtering of the conservatives. And like, you're wrong. And I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. Well, it's my uh, job here. That's well to to be contrary and, and be wrong. Yes, I agree. All right. Well, thank you for joining me tonight, Andrew. And uh, I hope, despite the rough start to 2021, that the remainder of 2021 is more smooth sailing. As much as I was a downer this this evening, I I do still hope for a better future. I hope for it as well. All right, can't stop the discourse. <laughs> <laughs>